It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. This is the hour of doom and bloom. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. I'm being fed right now some vitamins. What are you? What are you giving me? I have K2 and D3. Wow, this K2 world's is... second highest mountain. <laughs> K2. K2 uh, is for heart health. It's actually supposed to, and I'm not making a medical claim here, help clean out the plaques. Ooh. In your heart. That yes. would be awesome. That is a claim. I that am... is not scientifically proven, I do not think. Because my ticker is clogged, But man. D3, well, that's what you say. D3 is, of course, your vitamin D. Mm-hmm. And why are we trying to raise our vitamin D? So our immune system is high. And if we're exposed to COVID, then we don't get it. Yay! And let's see, what else are you giving me? You're giving me zinc. I oh, see, yeah, zinc. Which, which I, I Well, sometimes I give you the liquid. And that comes in a dropper. We have to mix it with fruit juice. And then sometimes we have zinc capsules, which are here, zinc sulfate, zinc sulfate. the 220 milligrams. Right, which is what they used uh, when the hydroxychloroquine studies. Yes. And we or, also have... or actually, they didn't use it in the studies. They used it in the original thing that Dr. Zelenko mm-hmm. did, the his experience. And that, he mixed it with... Which it actually worked. Exactly. Yes. But um, for prevention, you're supposed to take... Supposedly, and this is not us, this is the East Virginia Medical Center. That's right. I got it right here. 220 of the zinc sulfate, which Mm -hmm. is right here, and D3, 5,000 units, which is right here, and the Qcertin, which is in the other room, which is, we have the 500 milligrams. You can take it between 250 or 500 twice a day. Uh So say that twice a day. And um, what else are you... What am I feeding you also? Shoving down my throat. Uh, multi-collagen plus types 1, 2, 3, 5, and 10. What is that? Give, Hair? Get rid of my wrinkles? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Hair, skin, nails, and joint support, which wow. is good because, you know, sometimes your knee hurts or my wrist hurts a lot, my fingers. Hmm. And you have a finger that's hurting you too. So, you know what? I'll give it a try. If it's not harmful, um, I will do it. Okay. Now, I just want to say one thing about the zinc. The ionic zinc that we're taking, we only take um, the recommended dose, which is uh, 15 milligrams a day. But on the uh, capsule, we're taking 220 milligrams. But I don't I think, think a lot of this... 40 of it is a bioactive or Yeah, something. and I don't yeah. think a lot of this gets absorbed. Yes. I think the liquid has a higher absorption, so that's why I'm taking a lower dose of that. All right. Hey. Those are just some of the things. Well, wait a minute. Guess what? Hey. We haven't told them the, what our show is. What is our show? Our show is, friends and neighbors, the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Podcast, a nook of normality in a nasty, nasty world. <laughs> and who are we? Bet you were wondering that too. I'm Joel MD, that old Dr. Bones, co-founder of the survival medicine website, doomandbloom.net, where you'll find 1,200 articles, podcasts, and videos on medical preparedness. And I'm Amy Alton, also known as Nurse Amy, an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. And purveyor of some of the highest quality medical kits on the planet at store.doomandbloom.net. Why, thank you. Not, not to mention that you are the goddess that's the hottest, the hostess that's the mostest, 
So cute the kittens and puppies make videos of her. Hey, you know what we're here for? We're here to tell you the basics. We're here to give you the conventional wisdom, the unconventional wisdom. And you know what? We're going to go as far as we have to to make your family medically self-reliant in times of trouble. And guess where we are now in times of trouble. But yeah. before we start, you better listen to this. All information and opinions voiced on the Survival Medicine Podcast are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. We're not there yet. We strongly urge your our audience, your audience. <laughs> to and seek, your audience, yes, if you have one. Thank you. To seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. That's right. Don't listen to a word we say. Not one word. Not yet. But one day, there may come a time when you are the highest medical resource left to your family, and our job is to make you effective in that role. You know, we get dozens of questions from folks every week, and we do our darndest to answer as many as we can. You're always welcome to send your questions to drbones, Dr. Bones, podcast at aol.com. That'll probably the last person on the planet that has, has an, an AOL.com. AOL. I know. I just had to tell somebody who's <laughs> uh, buying one of our bigger bags and apparently exporting it to somebody in another country. Uh-huh. Um, last name, my, that, not, not, not that last my, name Bin Laden. Hopefully. No, 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 no. <laughs> that my email ended with AOL and she sounded very nice girl, but she sounded like she was like 20 years old. Wow. And I was like, Dr. Bones podcast at AOL. A O L dot com. You might as well say O L D dot com. Right. At O L D dot com. There should be there should be an email for O L D. That's what AOL should change theirs to. O L D. Old dot com. <laughs> That's great. I better go make an email website right now. I think that that is awesome. <laughs> Hey, you know, we answer as many of your questions as we can. Sometimes we answer them on the air. You know, that's what we would like to do with a few of them today. And we're going to start with an email that comes from, oh, you know what? I didn't ask if I could use this. Well, don't say the name then. Uh, From LD. 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 Well, uh, the letter goes as follows. Hello, I love your podcast and books. Well, thank you very much. And uh, I was hoping to submit a question for your podcast. Is social distancing peer-reviewed science or is it a theoretical concept well that's very interesting you know uh, he says also he, he goes on to say that logic would tell us to keep away from those sick people just as we would not have unprotected sex with someone who we knew had let's say hiv virus is six foot a arbitrary number that may give some people a false sense of security well the number of feet the droplets can go if you sneeze or cough, depends on what kind of droplet we're actually talking about. Mm-hmm. The six-foot number comes from research done about the year 19, uh, no, 2014, excuse me. You mean 1902? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> 2014. That's what it seems like with the World Health Organization. I know. That identified how far large droplets go when you cough and sneeze. So what are considered large droplets? These are the droplets that sick people expel when they cough, sneeze, or talk. They're large compared to some other types of viral droplets. And because they're large, they have the highest viral load and they give the greatest chance of contamination. So that number came from a study done a few years ago and indeed follows what the conventional wisdom has been. But the smaller droplets that can be expelled with things like the flu, common cold, whooping cough, things like that, and of course, COVID-19, 
may be way higher than 6 feet for the smaller airborne particles. Researchers used high-speed video cameras that using uh, cameras that actually shot a thousand frames per second, upwards of a thousand frames per second, to record sprays of mist as well as human coughs and sneezes. They found that the smaller droplet particles traveled more than eight feet. And I saw at least one other report that said as much as 20 feet. Wow. And this is why official recommendations... Wait, that sounds like a sneeze that I would make. <laughs> or you. We make pretty violent sneezes. Well, you sneeze like a sailor. I sneeze very <laughs> I sneeze very daintily. <laughs> I, I, I do sneeze. You don't sneeze. Chew. No, that's not how I you chew. sneeze. No? Well, you go. They're violent. Yes, they're violent I won't sneezes. make the sound because I don't want to upset anyone <laughs> but i sneeze violently but i just sneeze violently there are, i've seen people who go like this yeah. and they they I make know. it cheap like a little bird like a little bird goes eek. and right. i have to look at them like did you just sneeze or was that your parakeet what was that <laughs> i'm like they're so lucky you could actually hide that when you were in school when i was in school and i sneezed oh not only did the classroom hear it the classrooms on either side of the walls heard it, and anyone in the hallway heard it. <laughs> and I believe it, having heard it many times. I'm sorry. Well, anyhow, LD, this is why official recommendations suggest, note, note how they say it, at least six feet, right, at least. not up to six feet. Right, exactly. At least six feet. The study, by the way, also recorded smaller airborne droplets spraying <laughs> vertically in the air, 13 to 20 feet. That's pretty amazing. That uh, researchers noted that that was theoretically high enough to enter and travel through some ceiling ventilation symptoms systems in some buildings. Medical News Today, by the way, recently reported on a study that claimed that viruses can spread to forty to sixty percent of a building and its occupants within two to four hours. Oh my goodness! That's pretty amazing. Lovely. And these large droplets can stay in the air not very long. Honestly, because they're too heavy. Right, because so they fall, right? Right, right, like, right. Almost like raindrops. Exactly. Eventually falling to right. the ground. That's right. Not instantly. So but... large droplets keep falling on your head. If they do, you're going to get COVID-19. <laughs> <laughs> you're funny. COVID-19 is known to spread via these large droplets. That's the big thing. But possibly also by airborne transmission. As a matter of fact, I think it's definitely by airborne transmission as well. There are a group of infections that fall into that category, measles, tuberculosis, chickenpox, and unlike large droplets, which need to quickly come in contact with somebody in order to cause an infection, and not just your skin necessarily, but your mucous membranes, your nose, your oral cavity, or even your eyes, airborne transmission allows potential disease-causing organisms to remain sort of suspended in the air for some time after somebody coughs, sneezes, or talks. Then somebody else can breathe in those particles and get sick maybe an hour later, maybe two hours later. Now, the flu is the classic example that we are exposed to pretty much every year, but some scientists believe that this airborne transmission can occur with COVID-19 as well. And I'm one of those guys, although you, I'm not sure you can call me a scientist, an old country doctor, but I believe it as well. Old country doctor, yeah. That's right. You're there. a young man. Oh, boy. Who's living in the city. Or something. Well, we're kind of not. Suburban. We're sort of, yeah, there you go. Close to the city. That's right. <laughs> There's also the potential to get sick through touching someone, remember, that has the virus or something that has the virus on it, even your pet's fur, possibly, and then touching your mouth, your nose, your eyes with that virus now on your fingers. That's one way that people suspect COVID-19 is transmitted. Some people believe it more than others. 
The study I just mentioned found evidence that the virus lasts up to four hours on copper surfaces, 24 hours on cardboard, two to three days on plastic and stainless steel. If someone sneezes or coughs and those droplets get onto something that you touch, or if they have the virus on their hands from touching their face or blowing their nose, things like that, and then touch something that you are in contact with. Which is gross because they should be washing their hands. And you're absolutely right. Just by the right. way. You are absolutely right. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. So that could be a potential way to contract <laughs> the disease. A direct content, a contact like kissing or maybe sexual activity, I'll bet that's another way that COVID may be spread. We haven't heard anything really yes. about or very little about they had those men- possible right, ways. They had mentioned that they had found it in sperm. Oh, well, there you go, sexually. But they weren't sure if that was a mode of trans. Right, if it's transmission. Exactly. Right. Yeah, but so- actually made its way through the female body and to the bloodstream somehow. Right. Uh, they're not sure about that. We, so I haven't heard much about it after they discovered it. It's one thing to test for it in sperm. It's another thing to say, hey, this guy gave it to that girl through this way. Right. You know, that's a lot more difficult. That is indeed yeah, more complicated. It requires a lot more certainty. <laughs> sure. Now, in terms of distance, the important thing to understand here is that scientists really only have estimates on how far coughing and sneezing can spread germs. They don't really have hard numbers regardless of these studies. Some of these might even depend on how forcefully a person coughs or sneezes, like Amy's sailor sneeze (laughs) or uh, somebody's little canary sneeze. Everybody else has, I guess, a different amount of distance that their cough or sneeze may go the problem with these airborne disease causing organisms isn't not is not just how they can spread how far they can spread it's also how long they can hang in the air and on objects so a lot of this depends on the bug in question Uh, measles for example can live for up to two hours in the air and on surfaces according to the cdc now this illness is so contagious that 90 percent of people who are close to a person with measles but who aren't immune, like through vaccinations, things like that, they're going to catch the disease, 90%. That's really scary considering that measles is definitely making a resurgence in some parts of the U.S. Great. (laughs) Just what we need. I know. Something else to worry about. Well, right now we're worried about COVID-19, though, and for COVID-19, a recent study found particles in the air floating around for a median of about 2.7 hours. Now, I said that, that's what some, one study said, but more research is certainly needed. How concentrated does it have to be to give you a good chance of getting infected? We need to know that. Uh, I would guess it would be more if you were in a group of people hiding in a closet rather than two people at each end of a basketball court <laughs> at, at the high school gym or on a football field, that's for sure. Uh, so I guess the big issue here is the r naught or R number of, of the virus. It refers... The R number refers to the effective reproduction number, uh, sometimes called the R naught, of COVID-19. And basically put, it's a way of measuring an infectious disease's capacity to spread. It signifies the average number of people that one infected person will pass the virus on to if they happen to be in a crowd of those people without previous exposure, who have never been exposed. The coronavirus has an R naught that's at least 2 to 2.5. That was in China. But it's mutated since then, and it seems to be much more contagious now. So that means a sick person can give it to two, three, or more, or maybe up to six healthy people in no time at all, 
you can imagine that you have a pandemic on your hands. The numbers of cases you see in the headline today point to the number getting higher. Seasonal flu, by the way, is only about 1.3, but even that's enough for an epidemic. Measles are not, is 12 to 18. If, if we had COVID-19 have an R-naught of 12 to 18, the entire country would be infected right now. I'll say one thing about the current strain in the U.S. that it seems to be less lethal than other versions of the virus. The, and, and I'll tell you why in a little while. The R number isn't a fixed number. It can affect, be affected by a range of factors, not just how infective a disease is, or, but how it develops over time, how a particular population behaves. In other words, is everybody going to a packed stadium with concerts or is everybody social distancing? And of course, mutations are important as well. Location is also important. If you were in a densely populated city, it's likely to be a higher R number in that area than a sparsely populated rural area. So all told, small droplets can travel farther than six feet and even large droplets, but you're close to the far range of the spread at about six feet or so. At six feet, you can have a conversation with someone else while 20 feet away, it might be hard to have a conversation with someone without having to yell at them. I think we all depend on some common courtesy on the part of people too. If you have a friend who has a problem covering their mouth when they cough or sneeze, you probably should correspond with them by Skype or Zoom. Yes. Probably not in person. But it, most people in general are pretty good about it. If they're, wear, if they're wearing a mask, if you're you know, about six feet or more away, well, I think that you probably are going to be okay. By the way, anywhere that you read face coverings, by the way, I'm seeing this everywhere, cloth face coverings, they really mean surgical face masks. And if there were a larger quantity of them, then they would be using the word surgical face masks instead of cloth face coverings. If you've listened to my recommendations over the years, you already had a supply in your medical storage. Now, now that Surgical face masks can be bought at Home Depot, Lowe's, or supermarkets. We saw quite a few uh, in some different retail area stores uh, just recently. Well, you know, get a few. If you have them, wear them. Don't let anybody face mask shame you. <laughs> right. Oh, and, and speaking of masks, do you have to wear a mask in your car? The answer is no, unless you're a taxi or Uber or Lyft driver uh, or maybe a passenger. Some taxis have plexiglass shields. I think it would... If it were a sort of a solid shield, you might get away without a mask, but many times you would be asked to wear a face mask in a taxi or some other conveyance like that. Also, how about walking around the block or taking a bike ride? Now, assuming you're outside, I would say you can get away without a mask unless your neighborhood has people in it that just get within six feet of you and you can't avoid it. I mean, where I live, I can walk to the other side of the street if I see somebody coming. If you live, uh, I don't know, on Broadway... It might be, in Manhattan, it might be more difficult to stay far enough away from others. Now, this question here that I have is from a well-known prepper, a good friend of mine, John Wesley Smith. John says, I just listened to your most recent podcast. Could you address uh, this question? Is it true that we all carry the pneumonia virus in our noses? Doesn't that mean we're asymptomatic for pneumonia? What makes COVID-19 so much more of a threat? Naturally, more testing will jack up the number of cases if it's the number of hospitalizations and deaths that are concerned. That is what's important, right? Allow me to, now he's also said, allow me to venture into absurdity 
for a second to make a point. Why aren't we concerned with dandruff? It's more of a threat than people realize. Even after frequent hair washings, it can come back. The worst part about it is that everybody who has dandruff or comes in contact with anyone who has dandruff will die should we lock down immediately. Well, John's laughingly referring to the fact that we're all going to die, whether we have dandruff or not, and we're all likely to be locked down about six feet under one day. But you might have been surprised to hear from him that we carry pneumonia virus in our nose. Most of us are aware that we carry bacteria in our gut that helps us to digest food. That's called our microbiome. Is he right about viruses? You know, that wasn't so clear before, but now researchers from Washington University in St. Louis, Missouri, have found that our bodies are also home to an average, an average of five viruses responsible for numerous illnesses, although it's unclear whether they have positive or negative implications for health, health in this situation. Strains of HPV, human papillomavirus, were found in about 75% of participants' skin samples and 50% of nose samples. HPV is thought to cause cervical cancer, some throat cancers, and can be passed sexually as well as by other close contact. The study co-author is named Dr. Gregory Storch, and he's a virologist. He says that lots of people have asked whether there's a viral counterpart to the microbiome. We haven't had a clear answer, but now we know that there is actually normal viral flora and it's rich and complex. So it appears that we may have a virome as well. We're just our own ecosystem, I guess. Absolutely. Now, the research team collected 706 samples of bodily fluids from 102 healthy adults aged 18 to 40. And they took samples from the participants' nose, skin, mouth, vagina, and even their bowel movements. All participants were closely screened to ensure that they had no known viral infections, and they were eliminated from the study if they were diagnosed with HPV in the past two years or had, let's say, an active form of another virus like genital herpes, things like that, in the last few months. For each sample, the researchers used high-output DNA sequencing that enabled them to detect a wide range of viruses. They found seven different families of virus, and that's including the HPV and the herpes virus. About 92% of participants, they found at least one virus, 92%, almost everybody, with some participants harboring as much as 10 to 15 viruses. On average, each participant harbored five viruses. The researchers say they were surprised surprised to find so many. They only sampled about five body sites in each person. They would expect that there are probably a lot more viruses we don't even know about if we actually take samples of other areas. Sounds like we're kind of like bats. Bats harbor a bunch of viruses. Right. Unfortunately, we get we get sick and die from them. Bats, for some reason, are just, they have cast iron immune systems, apparently. The researchers also identified adenoviruses responsible for pneumonia and the common cold in the majority, in the majority, not sometimes, in the majority of samples. It's possible that the viruses identified were lurking infections from years before. But dormant viruses usually reside in cells, not bodily fluids, but the bodily fluids is where the viruses were found in this particular study. So this study demonstrates that there is indeed probably some kind of viral flora that naturally exists in generally healthy and asymptomatic individuals. They admit that it's unclear as to whether the viruses are beneficial or detrimental to health, but they hypothesize that they may boost the immune system's response to harmful disease-causing microbes in some cases, 
then, but also might increase the risk of infection in others. In other words, they don't know a heck of a lot about this at present. It's very important to know what viruses are present in a person without causing a problem and what viruses could be responsible for serious illnesses that need medical attention. That is what one of the virologists said. While more research remains, we now have a clearer picture of the community of viruses that naturally exist in healthy people. So how about that? So we actually have viruses that naturally live in our body. I want them gone. <laughs> I would think so. So Away it, with you, viruses. <laughs> so I think John basically is saying, however, that we may be overdoing this COVID thing, our response to COVID. And I know a lot of you out there are freaked out about COVID. But I say, honestly, if you're under 65, you're pretty safe. About 80% of Americans who have died of COVID-19 are older than 65 years old. And the median age is about 80. A review by Stanford medical professor John Ioannidis last month found that individuals that were under 65 accounted for about 48 to 9.3% of all COVID deaths in 10 European countries. The amount is somewhat higher, about 7.8% uh, or higher, in about 12 U.S. locations that were identified. Now, although the number is still low, I'll admit that it is higher, the death rate is higher in younger people in the U.S. And this can be explained by the fact that the American population, especially if you take uh, immigrants into account, illegal immigrants into account, they're much younger than the average population of a European country. Exactly. The risks climb, especially for those if you hit 80. According to the Foundation for research on equal opportunity, Americans over 85 are about 2.75% more likely to die from COVID-19 than those people that were 75 to 84. Oh my gosh. Now those people 75 to 84 were seven times more likely to die from COVID than those 65 to 74. And those 65 to 74, 16.8 times more likely to die than those 55 to 64. Crazy. Despite this, I have to say that this is not just another flu. It's still deadlier. During the 2018-19 flu season, about 35 million people in the U.S. got the flu and about 34,000 died. That's according to the CDC. So in that season, about one out of every thousand people who got the flu died. Well, we've counted a lot less cases than 35 million in the U.S., but we have about 150,000 deaths so far from COVID. So it is worse than the flu. But I have to admit that statistics can be manipulated. If I believe that, and I do, that the true number of cases is probably 30 million or 35 million like, like the flu, mm -hmm. that would make the death rate much less. Still more than the flu, but still much less than what is counted right now. Also, the median age of COVID-19 deaths being so far along in life, 80 years old, the grand majority over 65, well... You know, maybe COVID-19 is just the finger that pushes, gives that one last little push mm -hmm. that sends people over the edge. Everybody seems to be manipulating the statistics for their own political gain. And that frosts my cookies. That really <laughs> pisses me off. Oh, oops, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, well, You're PO'd. Right. How's that? PO'd. Right, exactly. PO'd. A lot of people, of course, are trying to take down the current president. You know, all I have to say is this. 
medical officials will always paint a dire picture of a disease because if they can save even one life, it fulfills their purpose. Just like weathermen tout a hurricane because they want people to be serious about it and not die from not being ready. If they save one person, that fulfills their purpose. But a government can't only take these things into account. They have a country that needs to stay financially solvent. And that's why you're seeing calls to reopen parts of the country. An economic collapse could be as ugly, maybe uglier than a pandemic in some situations. And that's where we're headed. We've got to be careful. But to think that we can avoid people getting infected and some, especially older people, from dying, honestly, we're fooling ourselves. We don't close the state of Florida, for example, mm-hmm. for an entire hurricane season every year, right? No, we do not. We do not. We do not panel the doors and close everything down. That's right. And we can't close the entire country for a year or more. It's not going to stop the progress of the virus. It's only going to delay it. It would eventually, those people are going to be exposed to somebody and they're going to get the virus. Luckily, for most cases, it will be a mild case. Until there's a treatment or a vaccine that works, we're going to be stung by this virus. Wait, I just want to say something. Go Pfizer. Go Pfizer. Yeah. Go Pfizer. Right. They're, they're up front. Well, you know, I'll tell they're you. They're running towards the finish line. And they're one of just two dozen different vaccines that are in progress. So, All right. Yay. So hopefully we'll get through this in a year or so, but we won't if we allow our economy to collapse in the meantime by staying completely locked down. And people that hate the president, well, they hate the president. And they may get what they want if he loses the next election. But you know what? They're going to have a worse mess to deal with afterwards. That may not matter to them, honestly, as long as they're in power. But believe me, it'll matter to you. You might not recognize this country in four or five years. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode of the Survival Medicine Podcast. Survival Medicine Podcast. That's right. (laughs) We're Amy Alden. I'm Joe Alden, MD. And thank you so much for listening. We hope you'll listen next week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week. Are you worried about how dangerous the world has become? In these days of terrorist attacks, natural disasters, or even a future collapse, you need to be medically prepared to keep your family safe. I'm Amy Alton, ARNP of store.doomandbloom.net, where you'll find an entire line of uniquely designed medical kits and supplies for when help is not on the way. For everything from individual first aid kits to the ultimate family bag, go to store.doomandbloom.net today. You'll be glad you did.